Dr. Jerry Punch is here to join us as we'll look back at his time working in NASCAR for many decades, as well as the rest of motorsports that he covered for a long time with ESPN and the college football and college basketball scene, as well as uh, the uh, work that he's done off the track in the medical industry. We'll dive into all that with Dr. Punch when he joins us in just a moment. Plus, we will have our news and notes as well as our Ask David segment coming up at the end of the show. As always, Let's Go Racing is presented by Ticket Smarter. Ticket Smarter came aboard as the primary sponsor this year on David's 08 Ford Mustang. I want to tell you a little bit more about what they do. Ticket Smarter is a national ticket resale marketplace with tickets to over 125,000 live events, including NASCAR and other forms of motorsports. Fans can get tickets to every NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck Series race throughout the season. Visit TicketSmarter.com for more. That's TicketSmarter.com. David Starr joins us right now. David, you uh, had an off week, but there was certainly a lot of action on the Cup side of things at Sonoma with Daniel Suarez getting his first Cup win. An exciting day, a historic win, the first driver from Mexico to ever win in the Cup Series. Man, it was really cool. The, the season, I mean, that track house racing team, Ross Chastain, Daniel Suarez, those guys have been on fire. And uh, I've kind of felt bad over the last three or four months for Daniel, but his car has been really fast. They've had really great runs and fast race cars. And it just seemed like if any bad luck would happen, it would have the bad luck at uh, Coca-Cola 600. I thought he was a guy to win. And right there at the end, got involved in a wreck. But it was awesome to finally see Daniel Suarez in the victory lane. And now – He's got that big old 100-pound gorilla off his back, and uh, and I think there'll be many more uh, to come, you know. But it was cool to see Daniel win. Such a great race car driver and a great guy. And being historic from Mexico, you know, that was pretty awesome. And uh, I know there's a lot of people excited about his win, and uh, I think there's many more to come. Dominic Argon joins us right now as well. Dom, a big win for Daniel Suarez, the third win for Team Trackhouse in 2022 what a story for Suarez to break through but team Trackhouse to continue what has been a terrific second season in NASCAR's highest level you said it best just their second season three wins in the first 16 races two first-time winners Justin Mark said it best when he hired Ross Chastain we hired him because he wasn't bringing money we wanted to hire him based on his driving skill and same with Daniel Suarez and the drive that those two have they're going to be a part of the playoffs Guys, I think we're looking at two drivers that are going to make some deep runs into the NASCAR playoffs. Well, and David, we were talking about a couple weeks ago when Ross Chastain got that second win. Okay, is he a title contender? Now we see Daniel Suarez also getting into victory lane. Trackhouse is going to make some noise in these playoffs, I think. Man, they're a championship caliber team, and uh, we've seen it right in front of us for a sophomore year for a new racing team owned by Dan. Uh, Justin Marks and uh, uh, Pitbull. Pitbull. <laughs> I mean, they have really, uh, they have just opened up a lot of eyes and uh, they're a championship caliper team. We talked about, are they, are they? And man, week in and week out, the number one car, uh, 
Ross Chastain, then Daniel Suarez. Those guys are always near the front. And uh, with three wins so far in the early end of the season, I, we're not even halfway through the season. I think we're looking at a contender there, big time, both teams. Dominic, one of the things that we were told about with the next-gen car was a big purpose was to create parity. So far, we've seen 12 different winners. Nobody has won more than two races this year. And beyond Daniel Suarez, look at that top three who was also there Chris Buescher, Michael McDowell. I would say so far the next-gen car is doing its number one job of creating parity within the sport. Absolutely. And since the system began in 2014 where you pretty much win and you're virtually locked into playoffs, that has been the system, right? We, I think, had 13 winners in 2016. Last year, David, we had Moody on the show. I think Tyler was out that week. But Moody said, oh, we're not going to have any season where we're going to have 16-plus winners. We talked about that last year with opening the season with 10 different winners. But this time around, it's different. There's parity with this new car. Guys, I think there is a possibility we could be looking at 16 winners before Daytona. Well, that'd be something. If uh, that is the case, we'll certainly be covering here on a Let's Go Racing. Uh, Dominic, uh, go ahead and uh, tell us about our next guest this week, Dr. Jerry Punch. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the best all-around guys. You know, you can't, I don't think you can tell the story of NASCAR without Dr. Jerry Punch. Tell us about his background before we bring I, him in. I think you're 100% right. He's somebody who, he's done a little bit of everything. He's a physician. He's a sports commentator. He's a walk-on quarterback. He's done a little bit of everything. He's had a very long and lengthy resume of professional credentials, gracefully bouncing back and forth between all these different professional platforms. He's been a part of the NASCAR sport since the 1970s, has ties to Bobby Isaac and MRN and working a long time with ESPN and also doing college football. Dr. Jerry Punch is our guest this week on Let's Go Racing, episode 70. And Dr. Punch, we're so thrilled to have you. When I told David that we were going to get you on the show here a few weeks ago, he was so excited. And gosh, look at that. You're, you're here with us, and we're so happy that you're here with us this week. Hey, Dominic. It's great to be with you guys. And, you know, I've known David for a long time. I was around when he first came into uh, the truck series. And uh, and what a talent. What a, what a likable guy. What a talent. And you have to have that combination. I remember being at Vegas when he was driving for Spears Motorsports and won the first truck series race out there. And, and uh, he was also uh, uh, at working for a driving school, I think, at, at Texas Motor Speedway early in the early years. So I've been around him a long time. Anyway, it's great to be on with you guys uh, and, and to be a, be a part of your show. I'm so sorry you've known David that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too easy. <laughs> Take us back to the beginning, Doc. So we know you, all your, your credentials, all the, the amazing things you've gotten to do over the years. But where did that interest in motorsports start? Certainly a, a great head start becoming or living in North Carolina, being born in North Carolina. But where did that spark in motorsports begin for you? Well, I mean, I, I grew up in, in western North Carolina, as you mentioned, just outside of a little town called Hickory. And Hickory Speedway is one of those legendary short tracks where everybody – um, if you ever go to Hickory Speedway, you're ever driving through the Carolinas, pull in, even if it's during the week when it's closed, there's a wall at, at, at the, where at the main gate where it talks about all the drivers, broadcasters, people who started their career there, going back to the Junior Johnsons and the Ned Jarrett's and those kind of people uh, all, all over. But that's the place where it all started. My grandfather's farm was right behind the Speedway. And uh, every Saturday afternoon, we're out there working on the farm. You could hear the race cars practicing. And my grandfather would put all the tools up, and he'd go up there, and he was a gate guard. He was a big man, 
Uh, and he was a gate guard for the turn four gate. And my grandmother and I would sit up on the concrete bleachers and watch these uh, jalop these 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 cars run the jalopies back then. <laughs> and guys, we guys that you know you know that would come race when you you know the the Lee Petties and the Richard Petties and a guy named Ralph Earnhardt and Dink Widenhouse, those guys that were racing the short tracks of the Carolinas back then. Uh, and as I got older. I uh, worked work, started working on race cars and barns with buddies of mine who uh, who went on to race full time, uh, and I uh, and then uh, and then I rate and then I, I actually volunteered to help a guy in the hobby stock class one year, uh, and he was by himself working on his car in a barn. He had no help, and I went over there, and he had his like five or six year old son who would take the lantern and push the lantern around underneath the car so he could see the work on the car. That's wow. all he had, and uh, the guy's name was Jerry Setzer. Um, and, uh, I went, I went to Jerry, we're going to help you. And he, he ended up like winning like five of the last six races of the year. Uh, and, uh, and his young son was a kid named Dennis Setzer who went on the drive, uh, in the Xfinity series. That was, a, that was a little boy with the lantern. Um, wow. so, uh, uh, and then I, then I, and then the next year, uh, Jerry asked me to drive the car. So I drove the car and then we moved up and, and, uh, and I, I got the chance to run a late model car, which later became the Bush series there. So, you know, it, it was a, a driving, going to college, going away to med school was a blast. And when I got to med school, I couldn't drive because, uh, it was a little too dangerous. So I was hired to come back Hickory Speedway and work in the tower for Ned Jarrett, who was like a second father to me. Ned was a promoter there and the announcer. And one weekend Ned was gone. Um, he was gone uh, to the uh, National Motorsports Press Association at Darlington to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. And it was a huge race night at Hickory, packed house. And he had hired, he'd hired another announcer to come in and do the show, a guy named Barney Hall from MRN. Uh, and so uh, I'm sitting in the tower. We're waiting on Barney to show up. No shows. And Ned calls back, says, hey, I just walked into the ballroom here in Darlington and I looked over and Barney's MC in the night. So I guess he forgot he was supposed to be in Hickory. So uh, so then we're in a panic. We got this packed house full of people, all these great race cars. And Ned's youngest son at the time was like just a few years younger than I am. Uh, he comes up the stairs and he's he says, he says, I'm not talking. His name was Dale Jarrett. And he says, I, he says, I'm he says, I'm he says, I'm not talking. He said, uh, and he was shy at the time and he was just starting his racing career. He said, so you, you got to, you, you sit here beside dad every week. You got to do it. So I picked up the microphone and did the show. Ned gets back and next week gets, gets some positive feedback. Next thing you know, Ned and I are, are co-hosting races on Saturday night. And then he takes me with him to go to, to go to do MRN. So we're started. That's how it all sort of started with, with an accident and Barney not showing up and Ned and me having to do it. And uh, a shy, a very shy Dale Jarrett eventually came out of his shell, both as a driver and a broadcaster. So he, he's done pretty well. Man, Dr. Jerry, what a story, man. What <laughs> a story. Wow, man. Amazing. Just to hear this, man, that's amazing right there. So y'all had a farm right behind Hickory Motor Speedway. Your grandfather worked turn four gate. Right, right. Man, and, and what unbelievable. And all the freaking legendary, I mean, Ned Jarrett, did you know? I mean, obviously you knew who he was. Um, right. Well, when I was when, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, in growing up in Newton, North Carolina, yeah. uh, Ned's Ned's Cup back then it was Grand National. They called it Grand National back then. His Grand National shop for his cars was right behind our house, about a hundred yards across the field. Wow. So I would go out on I would go out on Sunday afternoons and wait for Ned's 
hauler. Normally it was an, an open trailer. He'd be pulling his car back from wherever they raced the, that night, the day, that earlier in the day. And, uh, and then I'd sneak down and watch him work on his car. It was a 65 Ford. Um, and so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, so my two favorite drivers back then were Ned Jarrett and Fireball Roberts. Uh, and they were best of friends. And of course, I always loved Richard Petty, but then when I got to work with, and I got to, got to be around and I know Ned, uh, got to work with Ned, uh, he was like a second father to me. So he, you know, when I raced, uh, and then when I had, when I quit racing to go, uh, to go to met the, the, the college and the medical school, um, then, uh, you know, and then I, he offered me a chance to come back in med school. They said, you need to take a couple, a few hours off every Saturday for mental health time. They said, cause there's too much pressure on doctors. So I had, I was at Wake Forest in med school and which is an hour from Hickory. So Ned said, why don't you come up here? I'll pay you $25. Uh, and you can help me in the tower. So that's where that's where it was up there in the tower. It ended up announcing, and Ned would take take me with him to do. There was no live radio broadcast back in for qualifying, so he took his. He was he worked for Anheuser Busch doing the Bush Pole Award. So he'd put it. He'd take his Bush van. We'd back it on the pit road right behind the start finish line, and the Cup guys would qualify. And they'd come back up and qualify. And they'd climb out of their car, come over and climb in the Bush van with Ned and I. And we would do a live radio interview. And at the end of qualifying, in the last. 10 minutes of qualifying, Ned would have to leave the van and go to Victory Lane and do the pole award. So that means I had to finish up the show, you know, finish up the radio show. And it was on a 50,000 watt FM station in North Carolina that was a huge country music NASCAR station. But we'd always get a couple of drivers to hang out with us. Kale would hang out in there. A guy that always came in and hung out with because he loved it because it was right in his wheelhouse was a guy named Marty Robbins, a country music singer. <laughs> Mar Marty would, you know, El Marty would come in and hang out with me and Wow. We would, we would talk racing. See, back then you didn't have to go get these guys because we were the only game in town. There was no live TV. It was live radio for, for pole qualifying. So Richard would be sitting there and Kale, Bobby Allison, Pearson. Here'd come Marty Robbins. All these guys come stepping in. So it was uh, it was really special back then. And, and we all were like, everyone was like one big family. Anyway, that's how it all started, doing radio with Ned and then eventually MRN and, and later on the ESPN. Man, Dr. Punch, when's that? When's uh, when's your book coming out? Wow, I'm man, amazing to hear all your man the stories and the and all these legends you work right beside. It's amazing. Well, it's funny. It's funny. I told somebody last past week the guy that the guy that uh, someone said, "Well, how do you get from radio to television?" I, I get asked all the time. I said, well, first of all, I had no journalism training. I went. To, I was a pre med major in college and trying to play football, and I wanted to go to medical school. So, I always took. I took one class on Friday afternoons I knew I could miss because uh, it was called public speaking. I knew I was never going to be a public speaker. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to be a medical doctor. So I'm only going to be talking to one person at a time and they're going to be laying on the bed sick. So I don't have to worry about being able to talk to groups of people. So I figured football team's going to leave on Fridays. I could miss that public speaking class. So it's no big deal. It's throwaway. Well, I guess, guess, I guess I was wrong. But uh, I started doing radio at MRN and I'll never forget um, – uh, the uh, vice president of NASCAR, Jim Foster, who started really was one of the guys who started Motor Racing Network. He gets a call from uh, from Kurt Gowdy Jr. up at ABC in New York and says, hey, we're going to come down and do, uh, back then it was called the Pepsi 400 on July 4th on Saturday morning. We're going to do it live on Wide World of Sports. You know, that back then, Wide World of Sports was everything. You know, you know, spanning the globe, you know, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, the skier coming off the ski. Absolutely. It was huge. And so, so he said, we're going to do NASCARs. We're going to do a part of this race live. And, and the legendary Keith Jackson, you know, whoa, no, man. You know, Keith Jackson is going to call the race. 
but we need someone to be with Keith in the booth that knows racing. I said, in reality, Keith thinks he knows racing, but he really doesn't. So we need somebody <laughs> in there who knows the sport. Uh, but but then he said, well, we don't want some redneck. And so Jim Foster said, well, he said, uh, we can give you some drivers. They said, yeah, but these drivers, they they we're worried about the language they may use and what they may say. And, you know, some of these guys act like they got a mouthful of marbles when they talk. He said, we need somebody who can talk, but we don't need some redneck. So Jim, this is a true story. Jim Foster later told me, and so did the executive at ABC, he said, here's what happened. Jim Foster said, well, we got a guy who uh, works on our radio network some. He's, he, uh, he grew up in the Carolinas. He grew up building race cars. Uh, he raced short tracks. He and Earnhardt are buddies. They raced together when they were kids growing up. He said he knows all these guys. He knows race cars inside. He built engines. He built chassis. Uh, he said, uh, and then he went to college and he went to med school. So he's a medical doctor. So he's an educated redneck. And he said, <laughs> so, and they, and they said, they said sold. Uh, so next, next thing you know, I'm, I'm standing beside Keith Jackson doing wild world of sports in Daytona. So, uh, pretty cool. Man, that's amazing. Hey doc, w w what year was that? Oh gosh. I'm trying to think what it was. Um, the, um, was that the 1979 Daytona 500? No, 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 no. It was after that. I, actually okay. was, I was an assistant for Ned. Uh, I was in medical school and Ned hired me, CBS hired Ned, and Ned hired me to be his assistant runner for him. It was a couple of years later. Interesting part of me, I'll finish up to, to tell you quickly. Uh, the night before the, that race, we're in a big production meeting at the hotel across the street. And, uh, and um, the uh, producer for ABC's Wild World of Sports, I was a guy named Bob Goodrich who also did Monday Night Football. He was one of their top producers. And we're sitting at a big, long table, and Bob Goodrich looks over at Keith Jackson. It's Bob Goodrich and then me and then Keith Jackson. He says, and there's a whole room full of people. And he says, Keith, he says, tomorrow tomorrow morning, when you guys go to the track, we got a surprise for you and the good doctor here. And Keith said, Bobby, you know I don't like surprises like that. And Keith said, you're going to like this one. Behind Keith Jackson, I mean, behind Bob Goodrich, there was a stand Looked like a, a like you like a mannequin kind of stand with a drape over it. He pulled the drape off, and there on that stand was a bright yellow blazer. It, it had a black. You might remember it had a black patch on it. Said ABC Wide World of Sports. Yes. You know, kind of pat, remember those? And he said, Keith, tomorrow you and the good doctor are going to debut our brand new look for the first time ever. People are going to see our new look, which is that bright bright blazer there with the black patch on it. Says ABC's Wide World of Sports with the rings. And Keith Jackson looked looked at that jacket. And looked back at Bob Goodrich and looked back at that jacket. He said, he said, uh, -uh ain't it going to happen, Bobby? It ain't going to happen. He said, I said, the good doctor in here and I ain't, ain't going on tomorrow on no national television wearing no mustard yellow jacket. He said, hey, <laughs> so suddenly it's nine o'clock at night the night before the race. And he said, Bobby, you best be waking somebody up. He used a few choice words in New York and get them down to the, the ABC headquarters and get them in that closet and pull out some of them Jack Nicholas navy blue blazers and, and, and courier them down here in the morning or else the doctor here and I, we're going to go on in our undershirts. You got me, Bobby? Like <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there, I haven't said a word. I'm just shivering, thinking, holy cow, I'm going to be on Wide World of Sports tomorrow in my undershirt. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, anyway, that, it, fortunately, uh, it didn't happen that way. We we did wear uh, the, the blazers and it, it worked out okay. So, yeah. Dr. But Dr. Jerry Bunch joining us this week here on Let's Go Racing with David Starr. So, Dr. Punch, you've had a few different times where your broadcasting career and your medical career crossed paths. Tell us about uh, some of those experiences and, and some of the things that, that have gone down. I mean, people hear about 
whether it was the <coughs> Wallace or right. Ernie Irving situations, kind of walk us through some of those things that, that happened where those two roads well, met. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the one that people remember the most is the, <clears throat> that because it uh, was the uh, Rusty Wallace one at Bristol, and it was uh, the day before the Cup race. It was the afternoon of the uh, the Bush race back then, the Xfinity race, and very few of the Cup guys wanted to practice in the heat of the afternoon because it was a night race. It was in the August night race, and so but there were two cars on the track, Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt, and uh, I'm standing on pit road, in the middle of pit road, getting ready to interview a driver, uh, tape an interview for a driver for that night. Uh, who had qualified on the front row of, uh, of for the Bush race. It was Rick Mast. And so about that time, I heard a crunch, and then it got quiet. And at Bristol, if it gets quiet, that normally means something's wrong. I looked up, and I saw Rusty Wallace's Pontiac spiraling up like a punt, like someone had just punted it in like a football. With a nose first, it goes up in the air, and it comes down and hits. Well, what happened was Rusty Rusty's tire had flexed against the ball joint, sliced the tire open. The car went up, caught the end. Back then, there were no grandstands all the way around. It caught the end of the grandstand, which launched it in the air, and it went maybe four stories high, and it came down and rolled and rolled and rolled and came to rest with the front of the car up on the pit wall and maybe 15 feet from where I was, smoke everywhere, steam, debris. And I could see the roof was caved in, and Rusty was slumped over. I ran over there. And uh, he wasn't breathing. I couldn't get to him because the roof is caved in and the window net was bent. I could just get my fingers in. He had an open face helmet back then, thankfully. And I could see he had blood out of both sides of his mouth and wasn't breathing. So I was able to get fingers in and just enough to pull his jaw forward to get an airway. And, uh, and their Earnhardt stopped his car and he comes running over there. He's, he sees what's going on. He said, what do I got to do? What do I, I said, you got to get this roof off, Dale. And Dick Beatty, the NASCAR director of officials, comes out. And he's holding a Winston Cup hat over my face while I'm trying to hold Rusty's jaw through that, through that uh, crumpled roof enough. Uh, and they're trying to keep my face from getting burned while they're sawing an opening for me to get to him. Uh, and we get to Rusty, get him out, put him in ambulance, suction him out. Uh, he's, he's able to breathe on his own and he goes to the hospital and, um, we got lucky. I tell everybody we got lucky that night. And, and, I, and a couple hours later, Rusty called from the, I couldn't leave the, leave the track. So, cause I was getting ready to do the Xfinity race in, in the pits as a pit reporter and Rusty called back to the track from the hospital and they passed him through the TV truck. He said, tell doc, number one, thank you. Uh, I'm going to be okay. He said, but tell Doc, he looks terrible. Because I had all this soot all over my face. <laughs> paint Where they had cut, cut Rusty's roof off and my hair was full of flecks of paint. I looked like I'd been I'd put my face into a campfire or something. But, uh, and uh, anyway, as right before the bush race started, Dale Earnhardt <clears throat> walked down pit road and walked right up to me. He walked up and, and he said, you realize, Doc, that you probably saved Rusty Wallace's life today. So you realize that? And I didn't say anything. He says, why would you do something like that? Why would anybody? <laughs> and so, and I laugh. I said, "Yeah, why would anybody say Rusty?" And he said, he, "He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we." I said, "Dale, we got lucky. We got real lucky that day." Absolutely, wow. Doctor Punch. I mean, obviously, you bring up Dale Earnhardt there, and you had such a close relationship with him. What were some of your favorite memories of Dale? I know you two were really close. What, what do you mean <laughs> when you think of your old pal Dale Earnhardt? Yeah, well, I mean, there, most of my memories of Dale, I mean, I had a lot of memories on the track, but most of my memories of Dale were off the track. Um, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> we, we used to hang out a lot away. He'd call me. Uh, we had, a, we had a, a great relationship because I never asked him for anything. I mean, I didn't ask him for a hat, autograph, nothing. And, uh, and we, he would sit and talk. And we would talk medical things. We'd talk everything but racing, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, uh, 
and he's he's actually the one back in the early 90s that asked me about he, we were having a meeting one day and I, I flew into Charlotte. We would, he picked me up and we went over to his farm and he asked me about LASIK surgery, about eye surgery. He said, you know, what do you know about LASIK surgery? I said, it was just getting started back in the early 90s. I said, well, <clears throat> it's a great way. They go in with a laser and they and they do these little cuts in your in your cornea and helps you see better. He said, how about looking at that for me? And I said, is that your problem you can't see? Is that why you run over everybody on the racetrack? He said, I don't run over <laughs> he said, He said, I don't run over them because I can't see. I run over because they won't get out of my way. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I said, well, I, and, but, but we had, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we were in Daytona, my daughter works in Jesse works in NASCAR. And, and it's funny. I, one of the favorite stories is that we were in Daytona we're down on Dale's boat, uh, at the Marina there. And, uh, I'm up, I'm up on top of the boat with the captain watching him do some fishing stuff. And my daughter and, and my wife, Joni and Teresa Dale's wife are down in the main salon there. My daughter's just crawling. She's not walking yet. So I go back down there in a few minutes and I see Dale standing with my daughter. He's got her by the top of her little, <clears throat> little uh, jumper and he's bouncing her up and down and she's putting one foot down, another foot down and one foot down. And, and I said, and I said, man, what are you doing with my daughter? He said, and Dale said, I'm teaching this young one to walk. He said, I'm going to teach this young one to walk. He said, she's, she's strong enough, old enough. She's scooting around here on the crawl and she's going to learn to walk before she leaves. And I said, okay, I'll make a deal with you. I said, you can teach her to walk. But you sure as heck aren't going to teach you to drive. I've seen you drive. Like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, he he was just a good just a good friend. I mean, just a just a really really good friend. He um, um, every Thanksgiving when I did college football, I would do the Texas Texas A and M rivalry game. And one one year it'd be in College Station, one year it'd be in Austin. And he came into the house back in Charlotte, and he he turned the game on. He knew that I was doing a game, and and he saw me on the game, and he also knew that it was snowing sideways up in the mountains where I live. So he gets up on the, gets on the phone. He calls my wife up on the, we live on top of the mountain in Blowing Rock at the time. And he said, Hey, I just saw Docs doing a football game in Texas. She said, yeah. He said, you're, you're getting ready to have that young and aren't you? Cause she was eight months pregnant. He said, she said, yeah, Dale, but I'm fine. He said, no, you can't be up there. He said, it's snowing sideways in the mountains up there. So you can't be up there by yourself. What happens? You got to go somewhere. He said, I'm sure doc took the four wheel drive to go to the airport. She said, yeah, Dale, but I'm fine. I'm, I'm she said, nope, nope. I'm going to send some guys up there and uh, I'm going to send a guy up there with a four wheel drive truck. He's going to stay in the basement until doc gets back. And if you have to go anywhere, if you have to go to the hospital anywhere, he'll take you. And she said, Dale, you don't need to do that. He said, no, I don't want you to be up there by yourself. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. Wow. And, 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 you know, he just, he just, you know, you'd never know that. And the irony is <clears throat> that last year, this past January, we were at the NASCAR hall of fame and my daughter, Jesse went with me that night and, we're sitting there, and when the, when the Hall of Fame event was over, we're walking out the door, and a guy walks up to me and says, hey, Doc, he said, do you remember me? He said, I used to be Dale's coach driver. I said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. He said, is this your daughter? I said, yeah. He said, was this the one your wife was, was pregnant with years ago? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm the guy that Dale was sending up there to stay with Joni until you got home. He said, wow. he said, and this is the little girl. And, and my daughter lit up and just started crying. She said, Oh my gosh, I've heard that story, but now it becomes real because, <laughs> you know, and I didn't know who he was sending up there, but you know, <clears throat> that's, he said, he said, I, I'm the one he said. And finally your wife talked to him about sending anybody, but he already called me and said, Hey, gas up that truck. You're going up the mountain in the snow. <laughs> um, but, how about how about that? Just a good guy, just a good that's, good person. What a story, that's incredible. man! That's, what a story! Yeah. Wow, that's unbelievable. Uh, Doctor Punch, uh, you were such a big part of both eras of NASCAR and ESPN, both integrations of it. Tell us about that of being a part of both periods that that NASCAR was a part of ESPN. It, I mean, 
when you look at the history of ESPN, uh, you know, it was huge in the growth of the network, but also it was twofold. ESPN was a huge part of the growth of NASCAR. It was really, uh, especially in that, that first integration, a great marriage between the two. Yeah, it really was. I, <clears throat> ESPN was just trying to grow as a 24-hour cable network, and NASCAR needed exposure. So it was one of those things where you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It was a hand-in-hand. -hand. Uh, it worked really well for both. Um, and, um, and I think that, uh, and, and the people that we had a guy named Terry Lingner, who's still around today, who produces a lot of the IndyCar stuff out of Indianapolis. <clears throat> he was our first coordinator producer for motorsports. And he, he brought in a couple of guys that were doing, uh, uh, doing races up there, uh, at a local short tracks guys named Bob Jenkins and Larry Newber. Wow. Uh, he brought those guys in, <clears throat> excuse me, they were doing Thursday night thunder, um, and then he brought, he brought me in and then Benny in. And uh, the thing is, we all had a passion for motorsports. None of us, we got paid, uh, initially not a lot, but we got paid. Uh, and, but we all had, we, it was a labor of love. We, we weren't, we were, we wanted to be there. Uh, and, and we, we covered it for the fans because we were fans and many of us grew up racing and grew up around it. So it wasn't a job for us. It was a passion. And I think that's what came through is, is when, when we had a break, when we had a chance to go to rain delay, uh, we went and talked to drivers or car owners. We sit guys down and have a round table, an impromptu round table uh, with these guys and visit and the fans. And if you look, if you look at the ratings, uh, when we'd have a rain delay, the ratings would go up because suddenly the fans knew we we're going to start talking to drivers. We're going to bring these guys out and sit down and just have them sit on a bunch of Goodyear tires and tell stories. And we have, and people, you can't get that anywhere. No other major league sport do you have that kind of access. You can't go to an NBA game or an NFL game and and walk on the field and talk to players like you can a NASCAR race. These guys will walk out to the car and they'll give you sign an autograph and you know hug a baby or whatever, and they uh, hug or kiss their wife, say a prayer, and they get in a car. Pretty doggone special, the access and the fact that people could identify with who these drivers uh, were. So I, it was just special. And we, we, were, we, we were a part of that. Um, we wanted to tell everybody's story. And, and the, what we decided, because we're race fans, is everybody in the field mattered. Uh, on our first did NASCAR, every driver, whether you were running 38th or 8th, had a story. Everybody's cars mattered. I made sure that I mentioned every sponsor. I went and worked on, I talked to every single driver in the garage area and David will attest. I'd go by and talk to crew chief, car owner, engine builder. And we, it was a lot of work every weekend, but if you want to be able to tell that guy's story, because that you, that 15 seconds you're able to tell the story might be the difference in him having a sponsor the next two weeks or not. And so we knew that. Uh, and unfortunately, as the racing evolved more and more networks got where they only, only want to cover the, you know, the top four or five or six guys in the race or the top 10 and everybody else's, you know, hardly ever gets mentioned or gets noticed unless something, if something bad happens. And then the chase came along and unfortunately, and the chase was, the design was to try to create more excitement in the sport. But when those last 10 races took place, drivers would always come to us and say, we know that if you're not in the chase, you're not in the race and you don't get covered. And that was sort of, and that, and, and we, we tried to explain to some of the people in, in Florida that, when you eliminate drivers, you eliminate fans, uh, and you can't do that. You may think you're going to keep the, the 10 most popular drivers, but you're also eliminating 30 more drivers who also have fans and viewers, and <clears throat> that eventually will catch up with you, and I think it did. Um, but we, we, we were fortunate to do it. Uh, Ned Jarrett, Benny Parsons, uh, John Kernan, 
<clears throat> Bob Jenkins. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, we had such a great team, Dick Bergren. Um, we had just such a such a great broadcast. You know, many of us had had come from radio. Uh, in fact, I, one of the last races I did on MRN, uh, I'll never forget this. MRN Motor Racing Network. Uh, you had a production meeting out behind Barney Hall's uh, Olds ninety eight in the parking lot. He'd raise his big <laughs> trunk of his Olds ninety eight, and that was the, that was the office. And wow. whatever he had in the trunk is what you sipped on before the race. But but I remember being at Talladega, and it was Barney Hall. And Jack Aroot were, were the two guys in the booth. Uh, Mike Joy was covering turn two. Eli Gold was covering turn three. Wow. Dave Despain was doing turn four. Yeah. And me and Ned Jarrett and Dick Bergen were the pit announcers. That was a pretty good radio broadcast team there. Right? So, Dr. Punch, man, it's just awesome here. All your great, man, just so much. I mean, just you've just been such part of just a, a big part of the sport for so long. And, Man, I just remember before I even made it as a NASCAR driver, was watching you on TV every week. And man, you were just so, you just just seemed like a great guy. You explained everything well. And when you talk about passion, you know, when when hearing you speak and talking about all the guys that were in the boots and, and part of that broadcast, man, you guys, you could tell you were very passionate about our sport. And I think that's what, you know, everybody loves Dr. Jerry Punch. You know, we miss having you on television. We miss seeing you every week. Uh, but, man, you guys had a lot of passion. Y'all, I, I, you made the sport. So, I mean, I, I think I would say this for a lot of people. You, you really turned a lot of people into race fans just because you were so passionate about it. Uh, you know, looking back over all these years, tell us some of the – proudest moments not I don't know about your career just so something that was just so proud you were so proud of the sport proud of the network you were involved in just some of the stuff that really meant a lot to you personally that the sport was you know the challenges the sport had at different times but what was some of the most uh, proudest you know maybe somebody won a championship the sport was doing this we're getting more race fans more sponsors are coming in I mean what are some of the great memories or some of the things you're most proud of about just NASCAR as, as a sport? Well, I, you know, I think I go back to uh, the 1992 season finale in Atlanta when Alan Kowicki won the championship. And Alan Kowicki's story was, uh, you know, rags to riches. It comes down here from Wisconsin with a, a pickup truck and a pocket full of dreams. We said he had nothing. His, his shop had burned down his truck. He had to borrow a truck to come down here. Uh, and a few years later, uh, he's he's competing against there's six drivers that can win the championship that day, and Alan Kowicki pulls it off in the Underbird. You know they took the TH off the Thunderbird because he was an <laughs> underdog driving the Underbird. Underbird, and, and he and he won the title. So I mean, it, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, we didn't have digital scoring back then, or real time scoring. So he had to lead the most laps, and if Bill Elliott lead, Bill Elliott leads the most laps, he becomes a champion. So that, that so I'm in Kowicki's pits and his crew chief. He continues to ask me how many laps have we led. Well, I'm asking, I'm asking our pit producer in the truck, and she's asking our stats guy in the booth, and he's counting them hand by hand and trying to give her and then me. And I tell, and they pit, and Alan, they don't get it full of gas. And then I tell his crew chief, uh, Paul Andrews, I said, Hey, Paul, you know he's got to lead like 11 more laps. He said, I don't, I don't think we can. He said he's hanging on now. And, uh, and Paul says, how close are we? I said, we, I think you got four more laps. To, you'd be four more laps to be sure. Two more, and you might have a shot at it. 
And so he said, we got to come now. So he led two more laps and because we were trying to figure it out. And it turns out he led one lap more than Bill Elliott. So, uh, and he won the championship. So, but been interviewing him at the end of that race, he, I'll never forget, he sits, he stops in at the start finish line. They throw it to me. We're feeding the house at Atlanta. We're feeding national television, millions watching at home. And our producer says, say something profound, you know, and, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <clears throat> it's a long day. But anyway, and I look down and Alan Kowicki has got a little box they welded beside his seat. He opens that box up. He's got a comb in there so he can comb his hair before he gets uh, <laughs> You know, so he gets out and jumps on the car. Well, anyway, I interview I interview Alan there, and then I go right into the fact that that was that day was Richard Petty's last race, and Richard had been involved in an accident halfway through the race. They had to replace part of the front of the car, so the producer says, "Okay, now turn turn toward turn four. Richard Petty's going to come out of the garage and make one final, you know, salute to the fans, make a lap with what's left of his race car." And so I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, we draw we direct your attention to turn four. Here comes the king for the final time in his illustrious career." And I, I taught, and you can see people when the stands crying and waving. Alan is crying; he just won a championship. We're saying goodbye to King Richard Petty. He makes that lap, comes down pit road. And I walk down to him. I have tears streaming down my face. He gets out of the car, and the king has actually got tears in his eyes as we do that final interview and him as a driver. Uh, that was also the day that Jeff, a kid named Jeff Gordon ran his first ever cup race. So pretty wild weekend for us at, at Atlanta. Uh, you know, so many special memories of being, being a part of the ESPN coverage. Uh, I love the fact that we covered everything at a racetrack on the weekend. If it was a, a legacy car race or if it was a modified race or a sportsman race or even a late model race, we covered it on somewhere on ESPN. Um, and, and we, and I got to call all those races. So some of those guys you had never heard of, uh, we, we wanted to make household names. We wanted people to hear, hear who they were. Um, I, I can remember, uh, I hosted, I was fortunate enough to host an NASCAR awards ceremony in New York at the Waldorf Astoria in New York city and being up there at Christmas time in New York at the Waldorf. Uh, I mean, what, what a special, special time. I, I, Vinnie Parsons and I hosted the night that. Alan Kowicki um, was on the stage for the championship celebration. And they had, and they had asked Alan about a, two weeks before, they said, Alan, every champion gets to pick their walkout music for the champion for the awards banquet ceremony. What do you want? And Alan turned to his, his, uh, his PR guy, Tom Roberts, and says, uh, I, want, I want the song my way, and it's got to be Sinatra. So, <laughs> so his PR guy tells, tells NASCAR, who tells us and our and and our producer Terry Linger says, okay, let well, they find out that to play that song one time, one time during the banquet, you couldn't play it beforehand in rehearsal, you couldn't play it afterwards in the in the post, but to play it one time with Sinatra was going to be ten thousand dollars. Wow! Uh, and so, uh, so our our producer called called um, um, T Wayne Robertson with R J Reynolds Tobacco and said, T Wayne. It's going to cost 10 grand to play the song for Alan Kowicki. He said, that boy did it his way. He did it his way. He deserves it. Pay the money and we'll pay for it. <laughs> Just that wow. quickly. And so that, that was what we played. And he came out to My Way by Sinatra. Just special things like that. Because yeah. ESPN, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, um, you know, uh, you know I, and just it was just such a special relationship. Uh, back then with, with how, how, you know, the sport, the fans, 
uh, everybody, you know, and getting a chance to be around race fans at the racetrack and see, and back then a lot of, there weren't a lot of motor coaches. So the drivers stayed in hotels and they ate in, they ate in restaurants like we did. And Benny and Ned, Benny Parsons and Ned Jarrett uh, and, and Bob Jenkins and I would all go to dinner at night. We'd be sitting in a restaurant and the fans would come up there and start talking, you know, and we, it was great to be around, just to be around race fans. I remember getting up one morning at Darlington uh, and across the street from our little hotel, there was a Hardy's restaurant and I walked in and there's Bobby Allison and his, and his daughter, Bonnie, sitting there having a, a sausage and gravy biscuit. And now it was, it, it was, uh, uh, and the restaurant that those Hardys, those two or three Hardys there in, in, in Florence and Timmonsville were owned by Kel Yarbrough. <laughs> so, so and, and people fans would walk in they'd be waving to bobby he's getting ready to race at Southern, the southern 500 that day he's there he's having a, a gravy biscuit that morning i mean that's just back in the days when you could do things like that i remember going over to bobby and bobby said something like well i said you know i said you know because bobby and kale didn't get along that well i said you know this is kale's place I said, yep doc i know this is kale's place I decided to come here and eat his breakfast because in a few hours, I'm going to eat his lunch. So that's awesome, man. I mean, I, it, it, those were the days you just, you, you know, you don't have that anymore. You know, yeah. and, um, you know, at, at Darlington, I was telling a story. If you, Ned was telling a story about how when I used to race on Monday, you couldn't race on Sunday in South Carolina because back when they ran the Southern 500 and the drivers would all stay at the same motor lodge there in Florence. And on some, when he had Sunday off, they would all pull their coolers, these old big heavy metal coolers out there by the pool. They sit out there with the with their with their wives or girlfriends or whoever, and they sit out the pool and all would just just you know drink out of their coolers and tell stories and laugh. And Marty Robbins would bring his guitar and play play songs, play some of his hits, and said everybody just sitting around the pool in Florence, you know, sipping a cold one to, and listening to music. And the next day they're going to try to. They're going to try to beat each other for 500, 500 miles in the Southern 500. So the next day yeah. they're going to war against each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. So just, just the special moments. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. doc, that 1992 uh, Atlanta motor speedway, when, uh, uh, when, when uh, Alan quick, won the champ, yeah. when Alan quick, won the championship, Richard Petty. Uh, I remember when he went out of the race, he uh, had a fire crash and there was a fire in his car I remember them putting his car back together and making his final lap. I was there in the stands, and man, I remember Jeff Gordon was in the race. But man, that was uh, that was cool to be there. And the front straightaway was the back straightaway. Now uh, it was uh, the, the racetrack hadn't switched over, you know. Right, it was right, open, exactly. Open configuration, but man, what, man, we I could sit here for hours and listen to you talk. There's so much. You have so much history with our sport. I think we have a great sport since day one, and, and I believe, Dr. Jerry Punch, your input, your passion for it has made our sport a better sport, having you be a part of it as long as you, you were. David, you're, Man. you're very kind. You're very kind with the kind words, but I feel like I'm the one that was blessed. You know, as Bob Jenkins always said, I'm just uh, – Bob Jenkins' favorite line was, I was just a race fan that got lucky, and I feel the same way. I was a race fan – they got lucky when, I, as a kid growing up, with the grandparents that took me to Hickory Speedway, and a, a man named Ned Jarrett took me under his arm and let me be a, follow him around as a shadow. And and people in Daytona took a chance on me being on radio and in television. ESPN gave me a chance. Um, they could have at any at any moment said, "Go, you go back and you be a doctor. You go, you go hang out with people, and we we got this." But they didn't. They just kept letting me do pit reports and then play by play and do college football. And so. You know, I was living a dream. Um, 
and to be a part of a network like ESPN that that cared so much about motorsports and wanted to showcase what it was. And I think, uh, and, and ESPN was a sports platform. It, uh, that's what it was about. And then to be around, to be around the Bill France seniors and the Bill France Jr. I used to get to fly on the NASCAR plane, so I would be on there with Bill France Sr. and Bill France Jr. Wow. And the word, the word was, uh, they would always, uh, you know, Les Richter, NASCAR vice president, would call over to the hospital there in Halifax in Daytona and say, you know, when can you leave, Doc? I said, well, I can be there by three o'clock. They said, okay, I'd go to the, I'd go to the NASCAR hangar in my scrubs and change into my jeans and a blazer, jump on a plane, we would go. <laughs> and so it'd, it'd be like Bill France Sr., Bill France Jr., Jim Hunter, Les Richter, and myself on Amazing. that plane. And so I, I just listened. Mr. France always said, Doc, you understand, whatever you hear on this plane stays on this plane. And so uh, I heard a lot of good stuff <laughs> on those airplanes <laughs> over the years. Uh, but, I, but also um, what I learned is that how much Mr. France, Bill France Sr. and Billy, Bill France Jr., how much they loved the fans, how much they loved the promoters, how much they loved their drivers. They didn't say the drivers. They said my drivers, my fans, my promoters, because it was all part of their family. And they, that's why the sport, I think, did so well is because they, they treated it like it was a big family. Uh, and uh, Mr. France, Mr. France ruled with an iron fist. Bill France ruled with an iron fist. And, and some would, uh, uh, someone said, uh, we got on a plane one day and some driver was yelling at him. And he asked, he asked, uh, he asked Les Richter, said, what did that driver say to you? And he said, and, and he said, Billy, he said, that driver said, you were a, you were a benevolent dictator. And Billy looked at Les Richter and said, There's, he's wrong. There's nothing benevolent about me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> He's, he's, but I, but I am in charge. Uh, but, but it, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you saw, I saw a lot and I saw, I also saw Bill France out there in the dark in a sport coat with a flashlight directing traffic and people trying to get out of Atlanta. Uh, you know, he cared about his fans. And I think, and, uh, we see Jimmy, you know, at least son, Brian, you know, Billy's kids that were a part of it. And now Jim France who cares so much. Jim's a racer. Jim's a racer's racer. So I think that's, his leadership now is phenomenal with where the sport, I think, is headed. Uh, you know, taking a leap of faith to build this new car, this new gen, right. you know, generation car, uh, and with a clean sheet of paper that changed everything with the steer, with the geometry of the car and the, the steering and the wheels, the brakes, uh, to make it more adaptable. Because uh, you have to adapt. If you don't adapt, you you know, uh, you're going to get way behind and people are going to forget about you, which was sort of what was happening for a while. Right. And now they've made these changes and look at what's happened. You know, NASCAR goes to L.A., Los Angeles Coliseum for an all-star race and pack them in out there. People who've probably never seen a race. Uh, you know, you're seeing you're seeing drivers like Daniel Suarez, who is such a, one of the most likable people you ever want to meet in the sport. One of the most popular drivers in the garage area. You see him win a race uh, in this, and, you, and you see a camera shot of the grandstands and there's a whole section of the grandstands of people waving Mexican flag and they have Ooh. signs up that says Daniel's Amigos. Uh, that are there, that are there. I mean, how, how, yeah exactly how, how cool is that that is um, cool you know i mean i just think that they nascar has found a way to capture the passion and uh of, of a lot of different different kinds of race fans and people that and cultures um and expand the ability for this this race car to go to go places i think you're I think we're going to yet be surprised to where they're going to take this new car in years to come with with as the schedule evolves yeah. And as we look to, to the future, Dr. Punch, 
obviously a lot of time covering the sport, both stints there with ESPN. So when those talks, the new TV deal coming up in the next couple of years and the talk of ESPN potentially returning to the sport, let's go a couple steps ahead there. And let's say that does happen. What's the likelihood we'd see you helping out with ESPN's coverage of NASCAR if they were to return? Well, I mean, if I, I you never say never, um, you know, I, I, um, um, I, I love the sport. I absolutely love it. And, um, if ESPN were to get it back somehow, uh, I, I, I'm never going to, I'm probably, you know, I, who know, I'm not going to say no, I would love, I was there when we started doing it. Uh, I was there when we came back to do it again. Um, I, I, I was fortunate enough to get an offer to go to Fox and NBC when it went away the first time and the bosses came to Charlotte and we sat and talked and I said, look, and I told them one out on my back porch, I said, the ESPN's my home. Um, I, you, you could have told me to leave anytime you didn't. And I've been here all this time and, and I'm just going to, I guess I will stay put. Um, and, and Fox will have it. NBC will have it. Maybe someday we'll get it back. And if I stay loyal, maybe I'll be a part of it. And guess what? I was a part of it. Yes. We got it back. And maybe if we get it back again, who knows? Um, you know, uh, I may be too old, uh, <clears throat> but I'd, I'd like to do something. Uh, maybe, maybe even if it's just just telling stories as part of the pre-race or something. To this day, this day in NASCAR history, I bet you didn't know. You know, sort of like the old Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. <laughs> I, could tell, I could tell a behind-the-scenes story, but you didn't know this happened at this track in 1996, and no one ever saw it. But here's here's exactly how it unfolded, and I think people would hopefully want to hear those things. Absolutely, I, I would we, say too old. It would never happen with Dr. <laughs> Jerry Punch. You know what I mean? Uh, that's I don't think that's uh, that's ever going to happen. So, Doc, tell us about. I mean, man, your your daughter. You know, we were talking before the show started, and you're. Man, I know you're proud of all your kids, but it's cool having your daughter been a, a big part of the sport now. That's pretty awesome. Well, I'm thrilled because, you know, she, I never knew, <clears throat> she's the one that Dale Earnhardt helped learn to walk, you know, and, and on, on Dale's boat years ago when she was a toddler. Um, you know, Jesse uh, Punch works for NASCAR. She hosts a show on NASCAR International called Pace Lab. Every Tuesday, she has all kinds of different guests in. She, she's doing more and more pit reporting. Uh, for the different uh, feeder series, the modified series, the ARCA series, and NASCAR um, on um, uh, on Peacock and different different channels, uh, MAV TV, etc. She uh, <clears throat> uh, she loves it. Uh, she has my passion. She can't get enough of being at the racetrack. She's been traveling all over the country from going to the LA Coliseum back last week. She was in uh, Sonoma. The week before, she was in uh, Portland for uh, the Xfinity race. <clears throat> so she's all over. Uh, and uh, like me, she's, uh, you know, she, I think you, you wouldn't have to pay her because she would love to be there. And I think <laughs> I, I, and I love that about her. And also, and, and I will brag for a moment, you know, she just doesn't show up and she, and she does a lot of homework. And I told her, if you're going to do this, you better, you, you need to do your homework and earn your way. And, um, you know, when, uh, when she actually got the job with NASCAR, she was a year out of college and she applied online and went through like three or four different interviews and got down to where they were going to fly her in for the final interview. And one of the people that was interviewing her happened to look, look down and say, I wonder if she's in relation to, to Dr. Jerry Punch. Cause she had never told anybody that she was my daughter. So they called me and they said, they said, this is your daughter. I said, yeah. They said, why didn't you call us? I said, because first of all, I didn't know she was applying. You know, <laughs> she didn't tell anybody because she wanted to get there on her own. Absolutely. And I said, and she did not want, 
daddy to do anything. If she if she could earn it and she had the talent and ability, she wanted to get there on what she had done on not not on being someone's daughter. So I admire that about her. Um, and and I <clears throat> I got a chance a few weeks ago to go to work a pre-race show with her at Darlington NASCAR and asked me to come down. And so it was just pretty cool. Uh, throwback weekend. So she brought her dad to work with bring her dad to work day. So uh, I got to go hang out with the guys in the Fox in the Fox booth a little while and Fox uh, truck a little while before the pre pre race with Clinton, Mike Joy and the guys down there. Uh, and then uh, I got to be on pit road with her and see a lot of guys, you know, see guys that were racing back uh, when I was covering Mark Martin was there and Bobby Labonte and you know, all these guys that were hanging out, you know, it was like, it was like old times, you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm proud of her. I'm excited for, her. um, it's a hard business. I tell her, you know, being in television, especially being a, being a woman in television, you gotta be pretty thick skinned because people can say some ugly things. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of really talented announcers have to, have to, have to dodge a lot of bullets. You know, Jamie Little, one of them, bless her heart. I've seen her in tears a few times because people would say things that were so unkind. Right. Because uh, they had no clue. They yeah. had no clue how you could hurt somebody. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah. I'm excited for Jesse. Yeah, she's, man, she's Dr. Jerry Punch's daughter. I think she's going to be just fine. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, David. Yeah. We will uh, shift gears to our news and notes segment in just one moment before we do. This show is presented by Ticket Smarter, the official ticket resale marketplace of Worldwide Technology Raceway, where the NASCAR Cup Series made its debut just a couple of weeks ago. Fans can get tickets to every type of motorsports as well as concerts and theater productions. Ticket Smarter is committed to helping those in need by no donating $1 to every transaction, from every transaction to various charity organizations. Head over to TicketSmarter.com to find tickets for upcoming events. That's TicketSmarter.com for more information there. Time for our news and notes. Dominic Argon, what do you have for us this week? Well, we'll do some quick hits on some headlines from the Sonoma NASCAR race weekend. Daniel Suarez's first NASCAR career win in the Cup Series. 200, he's the 202nd driver. There we go to win in the NASCAR Cup Series. So, guys, 2,950 drivers have strapped up for a cup race. 202 have won a cup race. He's now one of those 102. But in additional news to that, Cliff Daniels, crew chief for Kyle Larson, is facing a four-race suspension, as well as two other crew members from Kyle Larson's team after a tire let go after a green flag pit stop in Stage 3, as well as an L1 penalty for Cody Ware and Rick Ware Racing, the number 51 team. Failed pre-race inspection four times. 20 points docked on there. Those are some of your headlines from the Sonoma race weekend. Dr. Poncho, let's start with you. Uh, your thoughts at Cliff Daniels uh, getting that suspension there. Uh, we've seen since he and Kyle Larson paired up, it's, it's not just been Kyle the driver. I mean, that team has been phenomenal in this year and a half. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of these things are happening. NASCAR has rules and they have to abide by them, but – you know, if you have a, if you have, a, you know, this, this, this wheel situation has been a, been a nightmare for teams. It's not done, it's not done intentionally. Sometimes they getting these, getting these uh, wheels put on and having a wheel not, not pull up and a wheel come off or, or having an issue like that. Um, it is, it is dangerous. I understand NASCAR wants them to be deliberate, but you can be deliberate and finish 18th every week, or, you know, you can, you can push the, push the envelope and, and try to win a race. And, um, you know, so I, I feel for, for Cliff Daniels. I, I know he, he and Kyle Larson have been magic together. Uh, and that's tough when you lose someone that's been that big a leader on the pit box. Um, you know, that, 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 that's tough for that team. 
David, what's these next couple of weeks going to be like for Kyle Larson not having Cliff Daniels top of the box? Well, man, with Cliff Daniels' leadership, the team he has put around their team, Hendrick Motorsports, I mean, you know, I, I believe, uh, you know, obviously not having Cliff there, that leadership, that crew chief on top of the box, it's a big deal. But, you know, I think the car chief, the engineer, they know what's expected of, you know, the talent level that whole organization has. I don't really think that you'll see them skip a beat. You know, might be messing a little bit here, a little bit there. But uh, Cliff Daniels has a great team. And uh, I don't really think you'll see him skip a beat, to be honest with you. You know, uh, he might not be at the racetrack, but he's at the shop. They got a plan in place. And I still think you're going to see Kyle Larson every cup race. He's a factor to win. And, and you'll see that in the in the next coming two, two, three, four races that Cliff Daniels is suspended. Dominic, we've seen over time, Hendrick Motorsports has a pretty good track record in these situations of when they've had to call in the backups of sorts to, to fill these roles when this has happened in the past. I think immediately when you say that, I think of the 2006 Daytona 500, where Chad Knauss had a four-race suspension, then a young guy named Darian Grubb filled in and helped win the Daytona 500 in 2006 for Jimmy Johnson and crew. So you're right, the Hendrick Motorsports will rise to the occasion. I believe at the time of this podcast airing there hasn't been a replacement name just yet for a top of the number five pit box but you got to imagine guys they're going to promote somebody within somebody that's a lead engineer somebody that's really hands-on with that five organization to call the shots and who knows they might get another chance to crew chief more cup races down the road because we know Hendrick Motorsports really enjoys promoting from within yeah yeah certainly uh Dama anything else we're good on the headlines. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment. I, I can't remember the name, Tyler. What's the, the name of the segment? It's Tell David. Yeah, it, it, uh, it might be called uh, Let's Go uh, Ask David. There uh, we go. That's we have to submit questions uh, to us on Facebook, Twitter, and by email. Podcast at gmail.com is, uh, is where you can uh, submit questions to us there. And uh, our first question comes from on Twitter. Lord Buffington wants to know... <laughs> Uh, this one's for Dr. Punch. Uh, Dr. Punch, why are you so darn nice? Seriously, one of the nicest people in motorsports. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I, maybe it takes less energy to smile than it does to frown. I don't know. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I, I feel, I always felt so lucky uh, when I got to go to the racetrack. Um, and, you know, growing up on a farm, I never knew if I'd ever fly on an airplane. I, I, when I sat one day on the, on the back porch of the farmhouse and said, boy, I'd love to be on an airplane someday. Careful what you ask for. Uh, I wanted to go to racetrack someday. Careful what you, and I just felt like I was so lucky when I came through a tunnel at a racetrack or came in, I couldn't help but smile. Uh, and I was with friends. I was with people that I shared a passion with and, uh, God couldn't. And when I see a, a race fan coming up, they weren't a fan. They were a friend. And because they both we both shared a passion, so I love to visit and talk with people. Um, and I and uh, and if, if people thought I was nice, that's that's kind because I, I thought they were nice as well. That's very kind of them to say. Jackie wants to know if you took karate with a last name like Punch. <laughs> no, 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 no karate. Uh, did, did not, uh, no, I, uh, somebody thought, were you a boxer? No, I wasn't a boxer, I was a wrestler in high school. I did wrestle, but I played football and baseball and wrestled, but. But no, no, no karate. <laughs> and uh, I got another question. This one comes from Barry. Uh, what do you make of the way the sport is broadcast on TV now? Who are some of your, besides your daughter, some of your favorite broadcasters that are covering the sport right now? 
Well, I mean, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm old school. So I really, you know, Mike joy and I used to, used to be roommates. We were li we lived together back when, uh, uh, early in our career and, and Mike and I are great friends. I like the fact that Mike, um, uh, Mike, um, uh, he, Mike lets the race come to him. Uh, he doesn't feel every moment. Um, he lets the race breathe. Clint Boyer does a really nice job playing off him. Jeff Gordon did as well. Uh, when they bring a guest in the booth, they give that guest room to talk um, and they don't fill up every moment. I think that, you know, uh, the old saying I was told years ago by Keith Jackson that uh, a good announcer knows what to say, but a great announcer knows when to shut up. Uh, and I think Mike Joy, Mike Joy is a great announcer. He knows when to be quiet and let you hear what's happening and let, let the race play out. And he gives his analyst, Clint Boyer, plenty of room uh, to be able to be an analyst. Um, I think sometimes, um, you know, it, it, one of, it's, it's easy when you have a lot of announcers on a, on a telecast, everybody wants to talk. Uh, if you talk so much, uh, it's hard for anybody to really understand and hear. Um, so I, I really thought Dale Earnhardt Jr. did a nice job when he went on Fox. Uh, I, there, there are some really good points on, on the NBC shows. Um, I like Dale Jr. I like Jeff Burton. I like them all individually. Uh, uh, they're, they're, um, you know, I, I just think they, they really, uh, they ever, there's a, it's a different approach. Uh, it seems like Fox is a little more laid back, uh, and how they, and they let the energy come to them. Whereas I think NBC brings it from the get go. They bring the energy into the telecast, uh, from the get go. Uh, and which is great. So it's a whole different, different approach to, to broadcast. I love pit reports. I wish, uh, uh, both both television networks have really gone away from doing a lot of pit reports uh, where you go down and you tell what's happening, tell the stories. Uh, they do a lot. A lot of it's geared toward what's happening out of the booth. Uh, I, if I were to do racing, if I was if I was in charge for a day, I would want to I would want to go back and get those stories, get those scoops. I want to hear from from Vince Welch or I want to hear from Jamie Little uh, or Regan Smith. I want to hear uh, them tell me something. Uh, about one of these teams or what's going on. So it gives you a, a reason to, to, to pull for somebody or, or understand what's happening, um, you know, uh, in, in someone's pits. I don't think we tell enough of that from that standpoint as we used to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember for years, Dr. Punch, you, know, you guys did it at ESPN, TNT and NBC did it, that through the field segment, just mm -hmm. going one by one by each driver and how yeah. their team was doing. Just even a quick 30-second report, you had – you knew everything that was going on with everybody in a five-minute stretch. Yeah, and, and we would even freeze the camera at times and let everybody come through the frame, uh, just stop and get one shot of the front straightaway so you could see every car come through. So every, because every car had a fan, every car had a sponsor uh, that wanted some exposure, and there was nothing wrong with that. Uh, and you know, and and I and I understand that that when television networks today. And, and I don't profess to be a television executive. They've gone and done focus groups and the focus, and they said the focus groups and the fans in those groups said, we want to see the top four or five cars, the top 10 cars. And it, and it used to get frustrating to Benny Parsons as a driver because Benny would want to show more of the guys running toward the back of the field. And uh, Benny always had a funny say, saying that drivers come to Benny and they'd say, they'd say, Benny, won't you talk about me more? Benny, I need you to talk about me more. I'm trying to keep my sponsor. And Benny said, I tell you what, if you put your car in that little box that I'm that I'm talking about, I'll talk about you all day long. <laughs> Benny, Benny, you got to get up there where everybody else is racing, and then I'll talk about you kind of deal. So, yeah, it, it's uh, uh, it's tough. Uh, but, 
Yeah, you know what? Uh, a bad day at the racetrack, you know, is better than a good day at most of the places in sports. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, David, uh, I know that even the races that you're in, whatever, you're going back and you're watching the TV broadcast. I mean, all the drivers, they, they might act like that they're not listed, but they're listening, aren't they? Absolutely, man. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, you, you can learn watching back telecast, you know, just, just you know, I don't know. Some I, I study some of the races, study uh, what the leaders are doing, what I'm doing. Just, just you know, you can learn a lot, but just watching a broadcast, re-watching re, re a race, you know, and uh, hearing, hearing how the race plays out and hearing, hearing you know, the, the, the commentators, what they're talking about. I just, I mean, I, I don't know. But, do, hey, Dr. Jerry Punch, you, man, I, uh, man, somebody that's passionate about the sport, uh, myself, Man, I, I don't, I don't know. I just thank you for for that. I, I, we're all of us are blessed, race fans, the drivers, the teams, the sponsors, to have people like you that cared that much and 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 gave the sport everything you had to make it a better sport. I just think, man, you're legendary. You're you're a class act. The friendships you have with Rusty Wallace and Dill Earnhardt and and everybody, Mark Martin, and just all the greats and. And to work alongside legendary Ned, Ned Jarrett, Bobby Isaac, and all, all the great Richard Petty and, and you know, uh, Alan Kowicki. It's just, it's just amazing all the stories and the experience you have. I can't wait to buy your book one day. It's going to be a bestseller, man. You have so much knowledge, and the stories are incredible. And, and what an honor. We're, we're just so blessed. We're honored that you would even uh, come on our, our podcast and talk to us and share some of your stories with our fans. So thank you so much. Well, you guys are welcome, David and, and Tyler and Dominic. I got a chance to visit with Dominic with regard to the Jeff Bodine <laughs> book that he's writing, and that's going to be phenomenal coming out. And I, we got a lot of Jeff Bodine stories, that I, some of which I told for the book, some of which Jeff paid me not to tell for the book. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, the, uh, but yeah, we, it's, it, it, you know, being, being on with people like you guys, uh, that, you know, that, uh, you know, Tyler, it's obvious you've, you've done your homework and you've been a, been a, been a fan of this sport and been around this sport for a long time. And you understand the impact that NASCAR had years ago and now is having again. And Dominic is, was a part of the, part of the NASCAR family. And now as a, as a writer and David, as a competitor at all levels, having won, uh, and having been a most popular driver uh, in in the truck series, uh, just such a likable guy. You know, the, the 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 you know it's it's uh it's it's fun to sit down and talk with people like you guys uh, who share my passion and also understand where the port sport came from and uh, feel like maybe all of us in, in that are on this chat today uh, played a small role in helping get it to where maybe it's going. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all doing our part to, to grow the sport. Obviously, you've had a big impact on that, Dr. Punch. We appreciate you joining us. One more question from Jose. This kind of goes along these lines, what we just talked about here. Uh, any any specific memories that come up of David, uh, you guys' relationship over the years? And same to you, David, of, of Dr. Punch. Oh, oh boy. Uh, I, I just remember, I remember David. Uh, David's one of those guys, and no matter what, where you saw him at the racetrack, he was always smiling. He was always accommodating, always willing to talk, always uh, seemed like he was, uh, no matter what was happening to his car or his truck that day, uh, he would he would get out and find a way to put a positive spin on it. And I always I always tell told my kids and told told young drivers and that attitude is everything. If you have an attitude, 
then no matter what happens, you're going to have a good day. And I think David Starr is a prime example of that, that he always had and always has had and does have a great attitude about life and understand that, uh, that things may happen one lap at a time, but, uh, you know, you, tomorrow is another day. And uh, he always treated everyone with such respect and kindness and professionalism. And so we, so you love seeing, uh, I remember saying this, you love seeing people like David Starr, uh, uh, you know, uh, win a race. Uh, you love seeing, you know, this, this past week, you know, uh, when, you know, a, a young Mexican driver win a race because you realize that, that good guys don't have to finish last. They can finish first. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how about you, David, what, uh, what comes to mind? And when you look back with Dr. Punch, man, you know, he was such, you know, you saw him on TV forever as a kid, just, you know, had a dream and a goal and, and to, to, somewhat achieve your dreams and make it as an NASCAR driver. That was everything for, for me as a young kid. And, uh, you know, watching it every week, studying the sport, reading all the books I could read and seeing Dr. Jerry Punch on TV every week. And then when you're, you're, you're fortunate, you're blessed, you're lucky, uh, somebody gave you an opportunity and you ran with it and you're able to stay in the sport and you're living your dream. But when I met Dr. Jerry Punch, man, that was pretty awesome, you know, and, and you learn real quick, He's very passionate about the sport, and he's such a great guy. Everybody loves him. You know, you I've never, ever, ever heard one negative word about Dr. Jerry Punch. And, you know, you watch him on television, just everything that we're hearing the stories and seeing. He's so gracious, uh, the race fan. He loves the race fans because he is a race fan. We're all race fans. But, man, you're just a class act, and it was just – I was always thought, man, I, I was just so honored – to be your friend, to be able to talk to you at times at the racetrack, and just to know you because, man, you, uh, you're you just a class act, man, and it's cool to be able to call you a friend because you, you've just been such a great part of our a sport we all love. Thank and, you so uh, much, David. I appreciate awesome. the kind words. Yeah. Appreciate the kind words so much. Thank you. Well, Dr. Poncha, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Before we go, just kind of around the room, we'll start with you, Dr. Poncha. You're uh, what's kind of your, your day-to-day -day look like? Uh, you know, what are you doing throughout the week, uh, these days now? Well, you know, when COVID hit, they needed doctors and, uh, I happen to have some time on my hands. So I decided to go back and volunteer at the medical center here. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, uh, working with a company we were doing, uh, with clinical trials for these four vaccines that we have to fight COVID. Uh, I was, a, 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 I was involved with, uh, with Pfizer and Moderna, AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson helping involved with clinical trials there. And now I'm continuing to do clinical trials and other medications that hopefully will be, <clears throat> be difference makers in people's lives. So uh, that's what I do every day. I'm at the medical center, uh, with my white coat back on. <laughs> that's great. Dominic, what's going on with you this week? Now, came back from New York, had a great trip with my fiance Felice, and, and I hadn't really shared this with you guys, but to make a long story even longer, got to meet some family for the first time. My, my grandma came to the United States when she was five years, or no, 17 years old, from the country of Peru, had lost contact with her family, but through the, the DNA testing and, and getting all that figured out this past spring, we connected with so, so much of my grandma's family. She's got brothers and sisters still alive and family in upstate New York. So we got to do that over the last few days. So definitely a lot of fun and, and still feeling the highs of that trip. So going to definitely take some time this week and to enjoy more family time with Father's Day weekend. That's great. Uh, David, uh, you got another week off, Xfinity off back-to-back -back weeks, uh, but much needed R&R &R after you had a busy racing school last week. Man, no, no doubt. Just busy with our, uh, you know, uh, I now own the 
Team Texas High Performance Driving School. We're based at the Texas Motor Speedway. And that when I'm not at a race somewhere, I'm at, I'm at my race shop working on our racing school cars, or I'm at the Texas Motor Speedway teaching our school. This past weekend, we had about 250 customers that came and drove the cars. It was awesome. And I, but I'm looking forward to getting back to Nashville, get back and get back to racing. I mean, I, I don't mind a week off to catch up with family time, be a husband be a father, but, uh, but I'm always ready to get back in the race car and go racing, you know? So uh, I love it. Uh, even though we need a week off or two weeks off, you know, once you take those two weeks off, man, we're, we're ready. I, I'd race every day if I could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, joining you at Nashville here in a couple weeks. Uh, I'm actually off to Omaha for the uh, College World Series this week. Hey, I want to so. tell the doc, the doc said he put his, uh, he put his doctor jacket, his white jacket back on. I'm surprised he don't have ra white, uh, red racing stripes on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Or patches or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. My sponsor. This telescope brought to you by Quaker That's State. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it was, because of you, we, we ESPN uh, had those fire suits. You probably could just wear yeah. one of those uh, fire suits. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got plenty. Of, some of them don't fit anymore. You know, when you hang them up, they shrink. You know, that's that's how. It happens. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I I I have I have a whole closet full of those from all different eras. Yeah, fire suits. Yeah, it's uh, yeah that that was <clears throat> yeah that was that was part of our signature wearing those fire suits over the years. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that's great, guys. We got to go. Big thanks, Doctor Punch, for joining us. You, the listener. For stopping by as well as always you can follow us on social media facebook.com forward slash david star podcast twitter at star podcast email david star podcast at gmail.com we'll put the checkered flag out on this episode for dr jerry blanche dominic argon david star and tyler jones saying so long it's been another edition of let's go racing see you next week